you're listening to the Knowing Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Linnell Peters, and it's an honor to walk alongside you in motherhood, whether the journey is just beginning or you're right in the thick of it. I believe that your worth as a mother is not based on your performance and that your greatest strength is the love that you have for your children, whether they're in your arms or only in your heart. My prayer is that this little corner of the podcast world will leave you feeling more equipped, more hopeful, and less alone than when you arrived. Hey everybody, thanks for joining me today. Today's guest is my dear friend, Jasmine Howell. She is a wife and a mother to one very adorable toddler, and she's a writer and also a realtor, and she may not know this, but she has one of my most favorite singing voices ever. As she mentions in our conversation, Jasmine is a wearer of many hats, and I know that's because God has blessed her with a whole lot of talent. Jasmine and her husband Mike have a story that includes walking through many years of infertility, followed by the sweet experience of adopting their adorable son, Declan. They learned firsthand just how real God's perfect timing is and how he gently corrects and teaches us through painful circumstances. One of my favorite parts of our conversation is when she shares about the very deliberate decision she made not to pull away from all of her friends because they were having babies and she wasn't able to. As she says, An oppressed, barren heart does not need to be the result of a barren womb. Before we talk about her story, though, Jasmine and I discuss the interesting way we became friends, which includes a funny retelling of our crazy adventure and three-day drive down to Nashville, Tennessee, where we almost became famous. There's so much goodness to take away from this conversation, and I'm pretty sure you're going to love Jasmine just as much as I do. Hello, Jasmine. Hello, hello, Linnell. How are you? I am doing good, and I'm... (laughs) I'm just going to say right now to our listeners that you and I have been chatting and laughing, so I hope we're not too giddy during this conversation. That would be okay, though. Yeah, maybe. We're going to try to be, we're going to try to be mature and, and uh, focus, but. Thanks for inviting me. I'm very excited to, well, I mean, not all of this is going to be a happy story, but lots Mm -hmm. of it is. So it's, it's Mm -hmm. exciting to share all the uh the journey and the victory that follows Mm. it so yeah yeah but before (laughs) we begin let's let's uh share with everyone a little bit about how we met because it's not the normal not the normal start of a friendship so no we were both aiming to be famous we were no I oh my goodness this is gonna be hilarious I knew it we said we better like keep this under 10 minutes because <laughs> we might okay, have a very so, different perspective oh I know and that's why I'm so excited to talk about it because I didn't want to be famous okay I, I wanted to be thrown, famous I kind of got thrown into this so <laughs> Um, so Jasmine and I, um, we're going to have, oh, how do I condense this? Oh boy. Mm. Okay. So mm. basically through a bunch of, a series of events, Jasmine and myself and my sister, Rhonda, all got kind of brought together, um, 
each kind of um, being involved in music. Jasmine had actually recorded a little bit. Rhonda and I had um, a lot of experience just singing together over the years, Uh, just, you know, small singing together, weddings and festivals and things like that. So um, a producer um, kind of that we had connections with and that I think, Jasmine, you had actually recorded with him, right? I hadn't actually at that point. I No, I know. Isn't that funny? I knew him through a mutual connection who was actually a guy that was my youth pastor when I was um, a teenager, sort of knew him through a bunch of different people and connected us thinking perhaps down the road we could do some recording or whatever as we knew that he was like part-time, part-time in Canada uh, and part-time in the U.S. So anyway, there was kind of like this interesting connection and then when I first met with him um, he was kind of remiss to just do like a solo recording so he knew you and Rhonda and had kind of thought it would be cool for the three of us to kind of get together and do a group thing which at the time I had been really you know I had done a lot of like worship leading at church and I had done some of my own songwriting and I was kind of thinking like oh this would be really fun to do like some solo recording Mm -hmm. but then we kind of got thrown together, which was really fun and slightly chaotic, but mostly oh fun. Goodness. And <clears> I think <throat> you were in Edmonton at the time. Like, yeah. were you working yeah. like in, pre- you were doing preschool stuff or something? Yeah. So I was working in a daycare and, um, yeah, it is like a crazy long story. Sometimes it I is. feel like, yeah, cause I got vocal nodules. That's why I have a raspy voice now. I got the nodules and I ended up having to leave my work and I wasn't even in any condition to be singing, let alone jo- like <laughs> being part of a like singing trio. Yeah. <laughs> and Rhonda was like totally wanting to do a solo thing, but somehow like the Lord just brought all three of us together. <laughs> And it was just the most bizarre thing. And um, the crazy, crazy story is we got together um, the second day that we had ever met together. We got together Mm -hmm. at your parents' place with um, this producer and and your parents and whoever else was there. And we talked for like two hours about all Mm -hmm. the stuff going on in the music industry, specifically the Christian music industry. Yep. And then it was time to sing. And we sang a three-part version of This Little Light of Mine. And right. At the and it end, was good. And it was, <laughs> it, was, it was so weird. It was just crazy because Rhonda and I had lots of experience singing together, but you, we had never sang with you no, ever. That's right. And we all picked our parts and we went for it. And when we held out that last note at the end and we stopped and it was totally quiet, Steve said, okay, let's go record an album. Oh, man. Oh, those are such good memories. And then we moved to Nashville, Tennessee. We drove (laughs) in my parents' Crown Victoria with like the back trunk like loaded down and with a keyboard and I think two guitars and like probably enough luggage to be there for like the rest of our lives, we were thinking. (laughs) Three three day road trip all the way from BC, Canada to Nashville, Tennessee. Yes. (laughs) And we made it and we had a great time there. And uh, I think it was very illuminating. I recall Mm -hmm. being there and thinking to myself, man, you know, that was actually interesting. I'll segue something because that was actually the first time that I realized um, that God was sort of telling me that I was going to have to let go of the dream that I had of becoming Mm -hmm. a singer 
and that I was going to become some kind of famous singer because while I was in Nashville, the reason I bring this up is because it actually connects really well with my personal story about motherhood. But that was the first time in my life that God had actually led me to like, okay, here's, here is something that I really wanted to do. My expectations were set. I had a certain idea of how I wanted them to go. We made the journey. We pursued it. God opened some doors, but then he also closed a lot of doors at the end mm-hmm. of that. And when I came home, it was like, okay, I had to let that dream go basically. Um, I think we all did in a way. And that was like unifying in some ways, hard in some ways. But Mm -hmm. um, anyway, all of that to say that it was probably one of the most amazing journeys of my life. And I have Mm -hmm. so much fondness when I look back for you and your sister and all the memories we shared in that little tiny house in the little, oh my goodness, like what? What was that little pointy yes. roofed attic room that we all three slept in? <laughs> that only had half a bathroom door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very small space. Yeah. That was smaller than some bedrooms. Yeah. And we were all in there together plus a bathroom. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I know. I treasure a lot of those memories too. <laughs> we did. We got to experience some things that a lot of groups that have been together for years and years trying to get their foot in the door mm-hmm. never have the opportunity to do. Yes. And I've never once taken that for granted. I just feel like mm-hmm. it was an invaluable experience. And um, just getting to write with producers and even just go to record labels and, mm-hmm. you know, even experience the interest that we received and all of the Starbucks writing time. Oh, oh man, we spent so much money at Starbucks. Well, because that's where that was like our writing quarters. That was right? like the only place we knew where we could go that wasn't <clears throat> in that little tiny house. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I, that's where I discovered. I don't know what your choice drink was, but I think I was like all over the soy lattes at that time. I don't remember why I was into soy. I think I remember I, that. Yeah. yeah, why? But anyway. Soy lattes. Wasn't Rhonda as well? Yeah, we were like really into the soy, <laughs> the soy milk. I definitely <laughs> wasn't, but <laughs> I remember that with you guys. I feel like milk wasn't good for your throat. Oh yeah. Oh, I know. And That's I was just. Why. I know. I I just think it's so amazing too that the Lord brought us there and mm-hmm. like gave us this incredible opportunity to learn and grow the way we did because I had to trust Him so much because I like had a recovering. I had recovering vocal cords, basically, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I was so discouraged, and I felt, I remember feeling like, like, what am I doing here? Mm. You know, like, I felt very inadequate a lot of the time. Um, I think we all did, it yeah. for different reasons. Yep. Yeah. yep. Yeah. I was just like, you know, I'm actually a fraud of a songwriter. I can play, like, four chords, but mm. man, I am going to do my best with four chords. Yeah, you sure did. You sure did. <laughs> You have oh. such a beautiful voice. Jasmine actually came and sang at our, thank you, friend, came and sang <laughs> at our wedding. And we... I did. I was actually just singing that song that you, you sang the other day, but... I don't remember what song it was. Um, Arms of Love. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. I know. I know. It was... Yeah. Okay. Hey, we're at 10 minutes. Let's move on. <laughs> There's so good. much more to that story. We could go on and on and on. I know. We'll have to finish it somewhere, somehow, another day. But. Yes. Anyways, uh, Jasmine, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and a little bit about your sweet family? Sure. So my name's Jasmine Howell and I'm 36, I think. And um, I've been married for 12 
their ears. And I think <laughs> I'm terrible with dates. <laughs> You're making me laugh. No, I'm pretty sure it's 12 years. Yeah. And um, I have a three-year-old son uh, named Declan. And um, I kind of wear a lot of hats besides being a mom and a wife. I do real estate. Um, I'm a real estate agent. And um, when I'm not doing real estate, I'm usually doing some writing. I write for a ministry out of the States called Set Apart Girl. I sometimes do some writing for their magazine. I also um, love like social media and I don't know, any kind of design thing. So like I kind of geek out on like web design and graphic design and I do a couple newsletters for some companies and different things. So I've kind of got my fingers in a lot of things. I'm very creative naturally. And so I find I'm not able to just relegate myself to one field. I sort of like to do a bunch of different things. And I'm actually mm -hmm. trained as a teacher as well. So I have my teaching degree and have done some college level English teaching and might go back into some subbing in the fall. So We'll see. I'm kind of a, I'm one of those, I've heard the word multi-potentialite, someone that's got lots of different um, areas that they like to specialize in. So that's me. Um, and yes, I've got my husband, Mike, and Mike and I met, um, it's got to be 16 years ago now. I actually met him in a, like a, a castle in England. If that doesn't sound romantic enough, it was pretty amazing. Um, but I made him wait for four years. Poor guy. And you guys have such a sweet story. <laughs> it's funny. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, my little son, Declan, who joined our family through adoption um, in June of, well, he was born July 22nd, 2016, but mm -hmm. his adoption was finalized a year later on June the 16th of 2017. I didn't know that it was a whole year. Yeah, but wow. he was with us that whole time. We took him home from the hospital when he was... Um, I think he was just shy of 12 hours old when we actually like left the hospital with him. So kind of amazing. Okay. That makes me want to ask you a whole bunch of questions. So, but let's first hear your story. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about your infertility journey and then um, your adoption story? Sure. So yeah, infertility is one of those funny things to try and talk about because I feel like every woman's journey with infertility is so unique and um, like in terms of I guess what methods people pursue and and how they feel about where they're at in their journey mm -hmm. and different things for me um it was sort of funny because I wasn't the kind of girl that grew up like always thinking like for sure like I really wanted to you know be pregnant and um you know actually at a certain point in my life I was kind of like you know what I'd be okay if I was single and like just had like a career and you know and then I married Mike and that all changed of course and I always liked kids but I never I never pined away after being pregnant, let's say. So that wasn't like something that for me was something even at a young age, I just had this desire to grow up and be a mom. Like that wasn't necessarily who I was. However, um, I do think when I was, after we'd been married for probably, I'd say about two, about two years, um, all, you know, friends around me just started having kids. So it was like, you know, one of my really dear friends here, you know, they had their first baby after having um, a miscarriage and then I haven't, you know, and then other friends kept having kids and it was, you know, as the community around me started to have children, um, you, you know, as the years passed by, it was like, you know, we've been married two years and then three years and four years. And 
five years and, you know, and we still weren't, we still weren't getting pregnant. And it wasn't as though I was really panicked about it at that point. I wasn't, we were really enjoying ourselves, but there was this sense like, okay, maybe something's not quite right because we should probably be pregnant by now. We're not, you know, we're not, not trying to get pregnant. So why, why aren't we pregnant? Um, and so it was a, probably about the sixth or seventh year into our marriage that, um, I really started feeling like, okay, this is now weird. Like in, in the eyes of, you know, my own circumstances, but also in how I believed everyone else viewed us from the outside. Like, okay, you know, some of my friends are on like their, you know, second children. My, both of my sisters had had children before me at that point. Um, and I'm the oldest in my family. So that was also really hard, you know, being like the one that was like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, the oldest daughter with no children. Um, yeah. And then having sister, you know, younger sisters precede me, all my friends basically precede me. And there was this one moment that was really hard. Um, I remember we had just come back from a trip to the States. We were in the States at a discipleship, um, Ellerslie discipleship training for a couple of months. Um, Same community that runs the magazine that I write for. Um, They, we had been down there for discipleship training and I remember coming home and I had known like a lot of women in the community and in our little church were pregnant. There was, there happened to be five of them pregnant all at the same time. And we had come back to church and we were sitting in the service. And I remember the pastor brought all these women up on stage at the same time just to pray over them. And he just said something like, um, you know, we just want to really pray over these women and just, we're so thankful for the lives that they're carrying and for these children that are going to be joining us. But we also, you know, keep in prayer, those in our congregation that don't have children and are desiring of children. And I was like, hold on. Whoa. And it was just like a spotlight kind of went over my head. And Mm. I all of a sudden felt like, you know, every, everybody was looking at me. Like it was so obvious that I was the only one that did not have children. I was not pregnant. And of the people in our community that, that, you know, were my age, um, I was, Mike and I were basically the only ones that didn't. So it was that moment, I think, that suddenly made me realize, like, okay, this is, you know, I'm suddenly, like, this is really strange. And mm-hmm. and it was, you know, and I was really smack dab in, in a very prolifically pregnant community, <laughs> mm, <laughs> um, being sorry. one of the only people that was not in, yeah. yeah, in that community. So that was kind of what I think made, made like, highlighted that for me. And made me realize that something was kind of off. And we had actually the year before done a little bit of fertility testing at a clinic um, locally and had pursued a couple things. I had gone to the doctor and just, we had done some testing and things like that. And all the testing had come back, like, you know, everything was fine. You guys are totally normal. So at that point I was kind of thinking, well, you know, what can I do? Like, you know, there were, there were some options we could pursue, like some different types of fertility treatments and in vitro and whatnot. And, you know, we prayed a lot about that. Um, I guess it just never felt like that was the route for us. Um, we never had a lot of peace about that just personally as a couple. Um, and there's probably a variety of reasons for that, but yeah, but mostly I think the infertility journey started to become very, very hard once, my absence of a child started to become much more prominent in my Mm. community. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of the, the roots, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. if I can call it that. Um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of the gist of 
the beginnings, I guess you could say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's. I, I really admire the fact that you that you guys um, just spent the time praying together and just seeking out whether or not you wanted to take measures beyond, you know, or if you wanted to do anything to to help a pregnancy along naturally. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm sure that was not an easy thing to decide on or was it actually something that's felt kind of like you both were on the same page together right away I think that was one of the hard things because I mean I would say that in marriage like I don't think it's always easy to get on the same page and especially when like infertility um you know especially as a woman when there's when you know it's one thing when someone says like specifically like here's the issue you know, either it's with the man or with the woman or whatever, mm-hmm, the whatever mm-hmm. the thing is. But with us, there wasn't that. So there wasn't yeah. like this, you know, clear like reason. Right. And so yeah. I think at that point, we just had to decide, like, are we going to pursue, like, are we going to pursue other measures or are we going to just wait on the Lord um, and just trust his timing? And I think, you know, I really, I'm so thankful for my husband during that time because he was very, he's just a very patient man. He's not, mm. he is not tend to panic, um, or anxiousness. And he was just like, I am really enjoying being married to you. Like, I just like our time together. And it wasn't like he was selfish about it, but he just was very content. And I mm-hmm. think that that contentment was a lot harder for me to come to, I think, because being a woman, um, and being surrounded by mothers, I think that, yeah, just that, that sense of wanting to be a mother just started growing Mm -hmm. so much more. And he wanted to be a father too. And I think we really wanted to experience being parents Mm -hmm. for sure. But the way that we were going to become parents was not clear. And it wasn't just a given to us that we were like, okay, we are not conceiving naturally. So we're going to try Mm -hmm. like some Mm -hmm. other kind of method to get pregnant. Um, Neither of us felt a lot of peace about that, which I think is really interesting. And I feel like individually I think you need to pay attention to that Mm -hmm. um and we really needed to pay attention to that as a couple like okay we don't feel peaceful about this but what does that mean um and so yeah I think we just started praying about like what direction God would lead us you know and one of the things that had always been on our heart uh was adoption we had done um some adoption courses like four or five years prior to to the incident I told you about at church which would have been Mm. you know about seven years into our marriage we had started like looking into adoption like a lot earlier just out of curiosity and and interest and whatnot um and I think had always had in the back of our mind that we would pursue it at some point or another um so that always seemed like an option to us we always you know some very dear friends of ours had adopted multiple children my cousin had adopted um so there were some people around us, not like in our immediate community, but some people in our lives that had had very positive experiences with that. And I think because we were, we, we had been exposed to it and, and the, you know, how wonderful it could be. We also thought, okay, that's something that if God ever brought that along, we would definitely be open to, you know, to mm-hmm. trying that. But it wasn't that we didn't, you know, just eliminate the other options. We did look into right. them. We just, we just didn't feel like that was what God was calling us to do particularly. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just going back um, just a quick minute to what you were saying about um, how 
um, you know, Mike wanted to be a father as well, but he was mm-hmm. content being with you and how you were starting to feel more pressure in a sense, right? Or mm-hmm. more of a, you know, yeah, pressing um, <clears throat> to be pregnant. Yeah. Um, I, it, the, I think the main reason there is, is that women are, men aren't the ones who are asked or, um, maybe rather looked at and, you know, have people wondering if they're pregnant. Yeah. (laughs) It's the woman who experiences that. Mm -hmm. And so when you're with other people, a man never has to sit down with a friend and, and the friend is looking and quietly wondering is he pregnant? You know, right? Yeah. <laughs> women are the only ones who actually have to experience in that that, and so it is a lot heavier. Yeah. Um, you know, it reminds me of Hannah. Um, mm-hmm. We were talking. We talked about that before, right? Yeah, the story of Hannah and how she um, experienced, um, you know, this intense longing. She suffered, you know, mockery um, mm-hmm. and um, verbal, you know, abuse because she ha- was barren. And um, her husband had, um, I don't know, do you want to share a little bit about how that story meant a lot to you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and um, the thing about Hannah that really struck me is it wasn't just about Hannah. It was actually a lot about what was going on between her and her husband because Mm. her husband says, you know, I know you want children. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but basically saying like, yes, you know, I know you want children, but what about me? Um, You know, am I not as valuable to you as, you know, as a child? And, you know, I remember Mike and I actually having a conversation sometime about that. And it really struck me like the more that I focused on needing to have a child, the more he actually felt like um, somehow he wasn't enough and mm. that I wouldn't be content in a marriage if a child never came along, that okay. just being content and enjoying him, um, you know, wouldn't be, wouldn't be enough. And I, he challenged me on it a couple of times and I'm really thankful, um, you know, in that passage with, um, uh, oh, you know what? It's not, sorry. It's actually Rachel in Genesis is what I'm thinking of. Okay. Rachel, um, you know, Hannah's story, she patiently waited. Um, and I had moments like Hannah, but I also had these moments like Rachel with Rachel being, um, you know, with her husband, Jacob, she basically explodes on him in Genesis chapter 30 and basically says, you know, give me children or I'm going to die. Like, (laughs) you know, and she vents all her anger on her husband, like, hello, like, give me children or I'm going to die. And it's like, what can he do? You know, he's not, he's not God. He can't Mm -hmm. open her womb, you know, Mm-hmm. Only God can open and close a womb. And so that's that's something that I found really striking as I went through these different examples of women in the Bible who did struggle with infertility, who mm-hmm. were barren. And that's the word the Bible uses. And actually, it's a word that I like to use. Um, I don't think it's a word that's like we use infertility a lot, but barren mm-hmm. is like a biblical word. Yeah, And I like yeah. it because it sort of indicates like this sense that it's soil that you know, that, that a seed is not growing. And it's not as though God is not faithful and doesn't love the person, but it's just this sense, like he has not opened that womb for whatever his purposes are. Mm -hmm. And, um, so in Hannah's case, the same in Rachel's case, the same. And, you know, and there's a number of other examples in the Bible as well, but those two are, um, very prominent. The one thing I love about Hannah is that she was very surrendered to the Lord. And that's something that I had to learn 
it like surrender is not something that ever just came naturally to me. I was just kind of always someone that was sort of in, you know, this is what I want, a little bit entitled, like, you know, this is going to happen for me. And up to a certain Mm -hmm. point, I think lots of things in my life did come fairly easily. Like it didn't have a lot of things. Like I mentioned with the Nashville story, like up until I pursued that dream and it didn't actually turn out the way that I expected, a lot of things in my life had kind of turned out how I expected. Like it was kind of like, oh, things went well. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at a certain point in this journey with infertility and with realizing things weren't going to my plan, that was extremely hard for me. And instead of uh, starting as a very meekly, you know, and I don't mean meek as in weak, I mean meek as in um, humble. I wasn't a humble, surrendered woman. I was like a raging (laughs) sort of at a certain point became very like angry and entitled Mm. to my will. And Um, you know, just saw a lot of the things in my life that God wasn't giving me through a lens of like my own entitlement and Mm. like God should really be, shouldn't God be just fulfilling this need? Like why would he withhold that from me? It's so cruel. Um, Really just putting myself in the position of like, okay, this is what I desire. So obviously God should meet that need because God's here to make me happy. Um, Oh, Jasmine, I I love that so much. I love I love that honesty. There's so much wisdom in what you just said. Um, It's a willingness to acknowledge that we are not the creators of our own story. Nope. You know, and right now, like that's (laughs) one of those phrases out there, right? That we, you know, write your own story and stuff. And I mean, that's the beauty in our relationship with God is, Mm -hmm. is allowing him to write the story as it was intended and to learn how to trust him with that. I mean, my goodness, Mm -hmm. you know, um, in our story too, it's the same thing. Like we just, I never ever would have anticipated all of the things that we've had to walk through in the 10 years of building our family, you know, to have three babies in heaven and and all the Mm -hmm. other things that we've walked through. And I just think there's so much wisdom in recognizing um, and understanding that it's it's not a weak thing to surrender to no. his to his plan for our lives no. it's actually beautiful and it's actually freeing for us right it is but yeah. i feel like it also there is a real measure of grief that comes when you realize that things are not going to work out the way yes, you were thinking absolutely absolutely and i think that that is something that i didn't i didn't recognize cuz Cause I never had a miscarriage. I never got pregnant ever. I just, mm. I didn't lose a baby. I just never had a baby. Yeah. So I never, I didn't recognize infertility as a loss yes. for a really long time. Like it was like years and years. I think that, that I walked sense. through that, just not thinking of it as like a loss, but then through a, just various things, I realized, you know, conversation with friends and my family and just the wisdom of the Lord just, and, you know, talks with my husband realizing like, I'm actually grieving. And like, you know, a few of the different stages of grief, they're all, there's all kinds of different stages, but like there Mm. was a sense, like I actually had to grieve. Like there was no way to actually surrender the fact that I wasn't pregnant and we weren't easily going to have a child, like whatever means we were going to have a child, it was going to be way more complicated I thought than whatever anyone else was going to do and whatever we would pursue would be completely abnormal. 
And there was like a sense of like, for a season, there was a sense in me of like, that's not fair. Like, it's not fair that it has to be so hard for me, Mm, uh, for us, you know, to, to Mm -hmm. walk this way. Um, but yeah, just realizing that, that it wasn't going to happen in some usual way and may not happen at all, that I might never be a mom, that I might never have a child. That Mm -hmm. was like a loss. And I had to recognize that before I could like surrender my desire to be a mom, I had to like grieve the fact that I wasn't a mom and that I might not be a mom Mm -hmm. and that I might not ever have my own child. And so that process I think was, you know, really, really hard um, of just like going through the grief. And I, I say to lots of people now, like when you're going through grief, any kind of grief, but I mean, this one I can talk to specifically the only way, like, it's like a valley. When we say like, we're walking through the valley, you have to go through it. You cannot, you cannot come out the other side without having like passed through the valley. Um, you know, and when we walk that valley with the Lord, it's like, we do still have to walk it. It's not like he just carries us to the other side on a hot air balloon. It's like, no, we're actually in the trenches. We have to experience whatever is in that valley. Um, but the purpose of it is that he is with us so that if there is grief, and loss and pain and, you know, suffering in there that he's there and Mm -hmm. we don't, we don't run away from him while we're grieving it. We go to him and Mm -hmm. he is with us. And so, I mean, I experienced both the joy of walking with the Lord through grief, but before I got to that point, I actually was very rebellious and actually like grieved in an angry place and just Mm -hmm. didn't want anything to do with him for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, there's a couple different <laughs> yeah, layers Yeah, definitely. There. there are phases of grief. Yes. There are a lot of different, um, and it can go back and forth too for a lot of women. You're, yeah. You had a moment of despair that you shared with me once before um, early mm-hmm. one morning, and the Lord really revealed his love for you um, mm-hmm. during your time reading in his word. Do you want to share that story? Yes, I would love to because it's one of my favorite moments basically of my whole life. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I think up till that point, like I mentioned, I had been like angry, but not angry because I wasn't getting what I wanted. I think angry because at some point I heard it was like in the accusation, like you are not pregnant, you are not a mom, also came this lie that God must not love you to keep this blessing from you. And I feel Mm. like that was a lie that I just sort of like let in one day and didn't really recognize it. I think it happened probably around the same time that I was at church and like all those women were on stage. And there was like this sense, like you are not chosen for this. You are not blessed. Mm -hmm. You are not loved. And I just believed that lie. And I just kind of let it sink in. And from that moment for about six months after that point, this would have been somewhere in 2014. Um, I was just very, I was, I was very despairing because I believed the lie, like I was not loved and that God, you know, blesses, you know, one of the verses that I came across that was really hard for me to understand was Psalm 127, three, which says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the room of reward. And I kept thinking like, okay, God gave, God gives kids to those he wants to reward. So, you know, we're not deserving of it. Obviously something's wrong with us. Um, but why? And it just was the wrong, it was just the wrong thought process, but I didn't recognize it at the time. So I kind of like tumbled down into this pit basically of thinking that way for, you know, a couple of months. And 
um, I think that that thought like I'm unloved, I'm unchosen is what led me to be really angry um, and, and felt like this sense of unfairness. But, you know, in truth, I wasn't going to the Lord for comfort. I was kind of turned my back, you know, in a first short season because I was angry. I just kind of had trouble opening my word, you know, the word of God. I had trouble going to him in prayer. I was really struggling to connect with the Lord and to, I did not know that I was grieving. So I didn't know how to take it to him. I just didn't understand anything about what to do with this thing that was in my life. And, and it was pretty dark and it felt kind of scary, you know, to be in that place of like not understanding a, what was happening in our lives, what I was supposed to do about it and not feeling like, you know, another part of the enemy, I think really, um, another lie was that like, I was all alone in this. Everyone else had children. No one could relate to me. You're very alone. Um, so there was that like kind of on top of the other one. And so, um, anyway, so, but what was really fun, fun, it wasn't fun. It was like, actually it was not fun. It was like the word of the Lord came like a slap and it was, it was really wonderful, but it was hard at the same time. And so, but this one morning, it was in December of 2014. I remember it clearly because it was like very early in the morning. And the night before I had had this, like basically a gigantic temper tantrum, <laughs> like <laughs> before the Lord and before my husband and just said some terrible things. Like it was like probably one of the worst nights of my life. I cried myself to sleep. My husband had no idea what to do with me. I had no idea what to do with me. And I just fell asleep and it was just like, what on earth even was that? Woke up mm. the next morning super early and padded out into the living room where we were. We were out in this, we were living kind of on this acreage community out by this lake. And it was very quiet, very dark. There was just nothing going on out there, no traffic, nothing. And so I put the fireplace on and I remember opening my Bible because I was like, you know what? I do not want to be like this. Like, I do not want to be angry. I know this is not God's plan for me. I know this is not his desire for this journey. Like this is not the way to do this journey. So I guess I just went to the Lord because honestly, that was the pattern of my life up to that point. I just always went to the Lord. I always went to the Lord. And so I'd been trying to just kind of keep him at arm's length and I realized this isn't working. So I opened my Bible and um, don't think I really knew what to do, but you know, Romans 8.26 says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And I feel like as a Christian woman, not experiencing pregnancy, kind of in the depths of despair about it, feeling really isolated, being lied to in my heart, and just believing all those lies, it was like the darkest point I think I'd ever been at as a Christian. And mm. I think as a Christian experiencing that, I did not it just didn't feel right. I just, I didn't know how to deal with the, with the darkness that I felt. And so the Bible was where I went and I opened it up to Proverbs 30, which just by the grace of God, I think it was the 30th day of the month. So mm -hmm. I had this pattern of like, okay, I don't know what to read. I'm just going to open up Proverbs 30 because it's December 30th. So I opened That's it up. Awesome. I know. <laughs> I've never done that before. I may oh, now. I think <laughs> one of my good friends always used to do that. She would like read a proverb, like the day of the month. She would read like the Psalm for the day, the Proverbs for the day. And I think she would skip a couple based on what time of the month it was or whatever. But I, I went to that. Proverbs 30 verses and I just read the whole thing, but verses 15 and 16 really stood out. And it says, um, three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Shul, 
which is basically translated as hell, um, the barren womb, the land never satisfied with water, and the fire that never says enough. And it's funny because it doesn't feel like a really loving verse to read, like, oh, hell, barren womb, you know, a desert and fire. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but because they were so, like, they seem so unrelated, but because I'm an English major, I saw like what's called parallelism, which is like these four unre seemingly unrelated concepts, like basically in a row. So they're being given equal significance. And my mind just like automatically saw them all as the same, you know, having the same, mm, the same weight. Okay. And so I realized that, you know, and to me, it felt like it was in that moment, I felt so deeply loved. And it's so funny to explain it because it it's just not one of those warm fuzzy verses that you think about no but it was not like no it's not it's like just not warm fuzzy but god really used it to just show me that he was near me and he loved me and he was going to care for me because he was going to pull me out of the pit i was in and basically for me it felt like a disciplinary measure you know as a parent to a child mm -hmm. like hey you're walking into like a fire that's going to burn you i'm going to pull you out or i'm going to like warn you so that you do not get hurt anymore mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so that was that was the love I felt from the Lord was like you you are actually walking into something that is going to harm you I'm pulling you out and I'm going to warn you about this so that you do not get burnt and yeah. basically the verse really showed me that you know the truth of God was that my barren womb could like really rob me of life just mm -hmm. generally that the enemy's desire for that barrenness would be that it would basically destroy me and mm. destroy my marriage, destroy my family, destroy, you know, whatever good testimony God wanted to write in my life, that barrenness and my focus on it and how I was dealing with it could actually, you know, destroy me. And mm. so it was like the Lord just said, don't go down this path. Don't, don't let yourself become like a desert that's inhospitable to grow life. Don't become like a fire that's going to burn up everything in its path. You know, mm. don't become, you know, like the gates of hell that are, you know, constantly seeking after whom it may destroy. And it's just like, I just felt like, okay. And I just started weeping and I cried mm. and I cried. Usually when I tell the story, I cry, but I'm not, I guess I'm not crying today. <laughs> <laughs> but it maybe was. Maybe you will later. <laughs> maybe I will later. I'm. It was just a powerful, it was just powerful because God was saying, I have something different in mind than for mm. you to go down this path with this. Right. And, um, and so I, you know, when I finally stopped crying and it took a while, I just like came to the Lord and just basically had a, like a moment of confession where I was like, okay, Lord, I've believed this lie. And it was like, he also showed me the lie. You know, the root of right. this was that, you know, I was feeling unloved and he was showing me, no, I love you. Even though I haven't given you a child, this does not mean I don't love you. Mm -hmm. I really, really love you. And I have something very good in store, but it's not going to maybe necessarily be what I thought. And so, you know, my anger basically left, like as soon as I confessed to the Lord that I had been just kind of you know, being frustrated and angry, you know, basically drowning in sorrow, really. Um, I just asked help, you know, to be free from it, for it to not hold me like mm -hmm. a prisoner. Um, 
I also asked my husband to forgive me because I hadn't been lovely <laughs> to be around. Mm. And, you know, and in both cases, I did receive forgiveness. I received forgiveness from my husband and from the Lord. And and my anger left. Um, the hurt and the grief did not go away quickly. But the anger did leave. And, you know, that I think then at that point, it was like, I knew that I wanted the Lord to be with me and that mm. I didn't want to walk that without him anymore. Mm. Um, That's so beautiful. Yeah. He's so faithful to meet us um, when yes. we just take that one tiny little step to, towards him. Ah, um, and no matter how we're feeling, no matter if we're angry or grieving mm -hmm. or confused it doesn't matter to him mm -hmm. he just simply wants us to come yeah and to trust him with all those big emotions and not run to something else to to Absolutely. try and fix it right yeah so that's a, just a beautiful story i love it <laughs> um and it really speaks to me what was it like sharing um, and opening up about your infertility journey, because I know a lot of the women who are go or who are going to be listening to this, mm -hmm. um, you know, pos potentially are walking through this or have. And I think one of the hardest things is learning how to share, yeah. because there can be a lot of insensitive things that are said when when we're walking through infertility. Oh, definitely. Um, there's a lot of questions that are asked that are not mm -hmm. necessarily um, even maybe other people's business I mean yeah. I mean it, there's a lot of different things that can be said that are hurtful so um, what was it like for you um, when you kind of decided to start opening up and sharing and did you ever experience any kind of insensitivity during those those years yeah you know the funny thing was is I, I think this is just the grace of the Lord early on that I I really viewed people's questions and their inqu like inquiries into like what was going on with us and there weren't very many because I feel like the community I was in was pretty discreet and like they kind of I think were waiting for me to like you know it wasn't like it wasn't like this open struggle I'd shared with a lot of people mm -hmm. I kind of you know didn't didn't really know how to talk about it or even if there was a you know for a long time I didn't even know for sure if there was a problem so I didn't really say anything right but a few <clears throat> close friends you know and of course people would make comments like well have you tried such and such and have you tried this and that and what yeah. about this and that and and are you going to do adoption and if so from where and what country and like have you tried in vitro and have you wow. tried this and have you tried these supplements and have you oh, tried boy. you know <laughs> oh boy I, there was there was a lot of a lot of things that girlfriends said you know but most of the time I knew it was with it was with a heart of love because I wasn't you know people were curious probably but also they were just like genuinely interested in my life and so um I think I recognized that most people weren't asking me those questions to highlight the fact that I wasn't pregnant or to hurt to you. me yeah. or to hurt me yeah. and I feel like it's very important I feel like when you're a woman walking through infertility especially in the community like where I was part of where there was just so many pregnant women that that was their reality that was what their yeah. life was about they were having babies they were getting pregnant that you know I recognize that like okay that's their normal and like mm -hmm. of course mm -hmm. because their hearts and minds are in that 
you know, realm, they're going to want the same for me because exactly. it is so wonderful. Yeah. So yeah. I kind of knew that, you know, their heart towards me. And I think in most cases, most people's heart towards a woman who's not having a child is not like, oh, like what's so wrong with her? It's kind yeah, of like, not oh. like in Bible times. <laughs> no, it's like sympathy. It's, it's sympathetic. Yes, like, oh, yeah. you know, that, you know, yeah. we really, you know, we really have a heart for this person who's, you know, not having a child and we don't, you know, we might not know why, but, you know, we pray for this person or we care. And so people were asking for those reasons. So I knew that didn't mean that there weren't things, you know, brought up that were, you know, yeah, there was some comments made that were just insensitive or whatever, but, um, I, I forgive very quickly and I just either would just kind of let it roll off of me and be like, I'm not going to dwell on it. I know this person Mm -hmm. loves me and I'm just going to move on. Um, and then I, but I think in terms of like, I think in terms of like how I dealt with that stuff in, in my community, I basically like sharing it with other people, um, that was actually a decision that I had to make. Like it wasn't, there was no like great time to like, oh, I'm really sad about this. You know, it didn't, Mm -hmm. there was no natural point and opportunity to just invite people into that journey. It was like, I had to make the decision to start to share it. Um, And part of that was like, after the journey I went through where I grieved it, I surrendered it to the Lord, you know, then I basically had to learn how to share it with my community. And, and Mm -hmm. that was, that was an interesting journey too, because I feel like when I mentioned before, like one of the lies that I feel like the enemy had, you know, planted in my brain was like, basically you are alone in this. Nobody can relate to you. And so you should just keep this to yourself because the people in your circle, they're all moms. No one's going to understand what you're going through. Just deal with it on your own. And Mm -hmm. once I realized that that was actually the wrong tactic in dealing with it alone, or even just with my husband, like was not sufficient. Um, I recognize that, okay, I'm not alone. Um, these women may not relate to everything I'm going through perfectly, but do I relate to everything they're going through perfectly? Like, do I perfectly Mm -hmm. understand the difficulties they have in motherhood? Do I perfectly understand what it feels like to lose a child through miscarriage? No. Do I perfectly understand, you know, what's going on in their marriage or in their life? No, I don't think any of us can perfectly understand anyone's journey. You know, only Mm -hmm. God is desire, you know, is, you know, his design is to know us that way, but no other human can know us to that degree. So I think I had to share it with people recognizing that, um, you know, in community there's comfort, but it's also like just being able to unburden your heart with someone finding fellowship, even if it's not like that they relate to every nuance of every detail of what you're going through. Mm -hmm. They were listening. They cared. We had people praying for us. You know, we confided in the elders at our church um, just to pray with us because we were considering maybe adoption, maybe some other things. We didn't know what we were supposed to do about it, but we just kind of wanted people to gather around us and pray because we didn't have the wisdom that we needed Mm -hmm. to go through that journey. Um, And so... Yeah, I think it was just basically doing the opposite of what I had been doing to that point, which was like, okay, you know what? I'm surrounded by women that are having babies. I have like two choices here. (laughs) Either I become a hermit and Mm -hmm. I like move away and, you know, find a new community where no one's having babies, which Mm. honestly, where is that going to be? Yeah. yeah. Um, (laughs) Or I like embrace this and be like, okay, these are these women's stories. This is what God is doing in their life. 
I can celebrate what's happening with them and still share my grief with them. Like I can Mm -hmm. still carry my sorrow to a certain degree, go through the journey I'm on with the Lord to heal through that, but also celebrate what's going on in their lives. And I feel like sometimes women that are going through infertility, there's like this sense that like, I am so sad that I just can't be happy for anyone else. That's just not true. Oh, absolutely. I think that's pretty common, actually. Yeah. And it's difficult. And I've known many women who yeah. have, um, and that I've even, that I've either heard of or that I've actually talked to who are, who have wrestled the same thing. And mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about that because I just think it's really incredible that you made that choice. You didn't just go with your emotions. You made yeah. the choice to stay in those relationships. So what was that turning point, that moment where you and Mike decided together, all right, let's start to pursue adoption? Yeah. So, okay. So I'm just trying to remember this part of the story. I'm terrible with dates, so I probably won't get the dates right, but I'll get like the concept right. I'm a big picture person, but it was not long after. um, So I'd say like the season where God really brought me to that, that place in scripture in Proverbs 30 and really started to like break down some of the lies I'd believed and really started giving me victory. I think in not, I think he did start giving me victory in this area of my life in in the area of the infertility I was struggling, struggling with. And, you know, the, the feeling of barrenness and all this stuff. Um, it was probably not more than six months. Cause that would have been 2014. So it would have been um, the following April that we so Mike and I had kind of like thought we would maybe pursue an international adoption and then we we actually started a process of like app like applying um with an organization locally and we had done our first application and we had felt really the Lord's hand just saying like okay you guys can start you know moving forward with this we had been waiting just for like a sense of peace about it Um, I think we'd had the application printed for a long time. We just never felt the peace to send it in. Primarily, I mean, the cost was really prohibitive. That was a big thing. But beyond that, it was just like really not being sure, like where to adopt from, what age, what, you know, what country, uh, what process do we want to follow? You know, how long were we wanting to wait? All of that. And I think every person, you know, considering adoption goes through those same types of questions. And, um, so we were sort of unsure, but anyway, we, we felt like the Lord had given us peace to start the process. So we started with the, just this first application, sent it off. And then we got back, you know, our receipt for the first set of paperwork and, you know, whatever, whatever the first part of the process was, I can't even remember now. And we were like, and there was a bill and I was just like, oh, we cannot afford this. Even at the mm-hmm. small amount it was at that time, it was just like, this is not good stewardship. Like we just don't have this money set aside. And so, you know, we were just like, Lord, what are we supposed to do? Like, we don't have these funds. Did we get it wrong? You know, Mm. did we, did we, you know, read this wrong? Did we misunderstand what you were asking us to do? Um, But we really felt like, you know what, we can't proceed if we don't have the funds to do this. It's not wise. So we set it aside And, you know, I know a lot of people that have gone through that journey of just like faith, like God will provide. And you know what? He often does miraculously provide. And he actually did miraculously provide for us too, but in a different way. Um, And we just 
just didn't feel like that was good stewardship for us. And so we mm -hmm. sent the application back and basically said, can you please cancel this? And they actually gave us a refund and it was like, oh, great. Now we're back at square one. And um, not very long after that, uh, we had just kind of decided to surrender it. Like, you know what? We are tired of trying to think this through. <sighs> like, how are we supposed to figure this out? This is exhausting. And so we just decided we are not going to do anything about it. We're just going to wait on the Lord. And literally, if he does not make it like perfectly clear, we are not doing anything to pursue this in our own strength, mm. period. And we both just agreed and we felt complete peace. Like we're not doing anything about this at all. And so we just said, Lord, our answer is yes. We say yes to you. And if you bring an opportunity, we will proceed. Like we mm -hmm. will, we will take it on, but please bring us the opportunity you want us to have because we're not wise enough to figure this out. <laughs> mm. So, and I think we didn't know how to take the leap. There was like this sense that there was like a leap needed. We didn't know how to take the leap in whatever season of life we were in at that point. So we right. just waited. And then I got a call from my mom and uh, just out of the blue one day, I was actually doing some kind of real estate transaction. I got a call. I was thinking, oh, what could this be? Um, and she said, hey, are you and Mike still wanting to adopt? And I said, yeah, why? You know, why, A, why is my mom calling me about this of all people? <laughs> I mean, she knows our heart, obviously. So that's great. But like, what does, you know, what connection can she have? And mm. so she said, well, you know, there's somebody that we know. Um, there's a family. They have a daughter. Um, she's pregnant. And, um, you know, the family would like to meet with you. And I was like, what now? <laughs> Wow. and so sorry and how long was this after you guys had sent back the papers like maybe weeks yeah weeks okay yeah like maybe I don't even remember it wasn't very long and um yeah and then this call out of the blue and anyway we met with this young girl and her family like the next night <laughs> wow Jesus. and we sat down with them and we were talking with them about you know, the circumstances, we told them our story, we heard, we heard their story and her story and um, realized that we had so many amazing connections. Um, many of them I can't share just for her protection, but mm -hmm. there's just there was just so many amazing connections with this woman and her family that it was like, there's no way that this is an accident. Like right. everything yeah. about what God is doing here is part of his perfect plan because like these things that we share are so rare and bizarre that mm, like only God that. could have put this together. We couldn't have even put these things on an application if we wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so there were some wow. really amazing uh, things like that. So we met with her. She was saying like, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm talking to this organization that, you know, has a couple of parents on the waiting list for like a baby. And so they're going to send me some profiles of other parents that they think might be a good match. And I'm going to look through the profiles and, you know, I'll, I'll get back to you if I want to move forward. And we were like, okay. So a month goes by and didn't hear anything, nothing, just like crickets. And I'm like, okay, she's picked someone else, you know, for sure. She's picked a different family by now. Um, and Mike's like, nope, <laughs> he was just a hundred percent confident, which I love so much. Like God just gave him perfect and total peace whereas like me I'm like oh, I don't know and so he was like the rock like nope this is our baby I know 100% that God has this child for us and I was like okay I'm just gonna go with that wow. <laughs> and yes. so yeah and so it was yeah it was like a month later 
and Mike was gone somewhere doing an errand and I was at home working and my my phone was flipped over on the computer or just beside my computer and it just started a text came through so I flipped it over because I was actually expecting a text from him and it wasn't him it was this girl who we had talked to the one who was pregnant she was already uh, like seven months pregnant at the time so she, like she was like needing to find a family like right away and you know part of her heart was that one of the things that she had said very distinctly was I want to find a family who cannot have a child and bless them with a child and those were her words and you know the amazing thing was is she was pretty young and she never wavered from that not once um wow. just amazing for for like her sense of conviction too was incredible yeah. but um she texted me and I wish I had pulled up the exact text because the words are so precious but she basically said um, you know, Jasmine, I just wanted to let you know that I would really like for you and Mike to adopt my son. Um, I, I actually never looked at any other profiles right from the beginning. I knew that you were the ones that I wanted. And so what had happened was that this person who was supposed to send her the profiles for the last month, never even sent her anything. I guess she went on vacation and totally forgot about it. And so no other profiles reviewed, but at the same time, it was like this birth mom just didn't, she had just picked us. She didn't want to, she didn't even want to look at any of their profiles. So why, why it took a month? I don't know. I, but it was amazing because God really used that time to just like teach me like his plans are good plans. And even if I have to wait a long time, I can trust him. And, you know, thankfully my husband was also there to keep me from going crazy. Um, he's always, te- he's always <laughs> teaching us how to wait. Hey, always, oh, always. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seems to be the theme of my life. Mm. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and so then we essentially, you know, after that text, we just started a series of conversations with her about the process that ended up being like a private direct placement adoption, which is um, unique really to uh, Alberta, which is the province that we live in. And um, basically a birth mom can just directly place her child with, you know, whoever she wants. And it just goes through the courts and a judge signs the paperwork and it's that's basically it. So we just walked through that journey with her and a lawyer and, um, and essentially, yeah, Declan was born. I remember sitting out on our deck on the night of the 22nd and we got a text like, he's here, he's born, you know, come to the hospital in the morning kind of thing. And it was just like, okay, so yeah, I want to ask you a couple little things about this because, um, I, okay, so, um, he you were not present for the birth so they did you have that agreed that she would go deliver him and then you guys would be called is that kind of what yeah that that was what she wanted yeah that was what she wanted she wanted to just have that time with her family which we totally understood and Mm. um so yeah so she wanted some time with her family before we came and so um so she was there with her parents and um and they just were together for that. And then she called us and we came the next morning with um, a friend of mine who's a photographer. Mm-hmm. We picked her up and um, she drove with us and took pictures of of the whole thing, which was amazing. And I'm so thankful she was there um, because now I have those memories forever. Yes. And uh, Can you tell me what that first moment oh, was like when you saw Jacqueline? Oh, my goodness. Um it was so surreal, honestly, because you have so many emotions, so mm-hmm. many emotions because A, this, you know, wonderful woman who, you know, is pregnant and has chosen to give her child into your arms is there. Mm-hmm. 
and you know and her family is there and they're all agreed but you know it's like there's this great moment it's just this weight it was just such a weighty moment because it was like god god has brought us to this point but it's not without loss on both sides you know for me and for her you know loss for me and that you know i i still to this day i'm not i've not been pregnant i've not had my own child Mm -hmm. um you know and that may continue to be part of my story and loss you know for her because this was her child that she had just delivered and she was putting him in our hands and trusting him to us and Mm -hmm. you know and her parents they're being there too like signing you know watching her you know sign all the paperwork and stuff the lawyer had come to the hospital and and you know it was there was just a lot going on and at the Mm. same time even though there was just like lots of little details to sort out like you know it was it was just so clear that the lord was there um and the piece of it even though it was it was very emotional and i mean declan was perfect like he was just (laughs) he was he was absolutely precious and the first time Mm -hmm. I ever saw him he was just laying in his little I don't know what is it what do you call those things were in the hospital beside the beside the bed he was just in his own little bassinet yeah yeah and he was in this little uh light blue sleeper with little monkeys on it and which is funny because his favorite stuffy has always been a monkey like forever and uh (laughs) Which is pretty cool. But yeah, he was, I mean, I think Mike and I were both a little bit in awe. And I feel like up until the point that we actually saw him, it didn't really hit us like, oh, this is happening. Like, wow, we're, this is like our baby. Mm. Um, well, because so- I can imagine that you're, you're also wanting to be sensitive to the yeah. birth mom. And it's probably was a little bit strange having her family there. There's probably, a, yeah. I mean, I can imagine what's going on. Yes. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. You know, um, when a woman uh, delivers a baby and and that baby's placed on her chest, Mm -hmm. she, she could just ignore everyone else in the room if she really wanted to. Right. Um, so I, I can understand how that would just be a very different thing. Now, those pictures that you guys had taken, of course Mm -hmm. I saw them and they were just beautiful and I remember always thinking to myself I wonder what she was thinking in this picture I wonder what you know this precious this precious first moment of holding her her son um was like oh man Um, it was honestly it was just like now I'm gonna cry (laughs) but it was like you know, I had felt so, for so long, I had felt, struggled with feeling unloved, like God didn't have a good plan for me. Mm. And I feel like seeing that little boy there, it was like, I just knew that God was saying, this is what I had in store for you all along. This mm. is why you had to wait so long. Yeah. You know, and it was, at that point, it had been nine years and um it was just like yeah just this moment of realizing that he had had this planned and Mm. that that he brought it together and in that moment it was like it was just like a it was a holy moment because Mm. I recognized all that he had accomplished 
um, you know, this whole story for us came completely out of the blue. I mean, and we, when we sat back and said, we surrender Lord, and we're not going to do anything, we literally did nothing. And it was like 100% and completely and fully only the Lord. Mm. Like, I can't, I can't take credit for anything. I didn't pursue anything. We were invited by this family. We were chosen by this birth mom. Um, God put us on her hearts. And once she was in our lives, you know, she has never stopped being in our heart. And, Mm. uh, you know, when we still see her and, um, you know, and she'll always be part of Declan's life and Declan will always be part of our life. And like that whole thing, the whole orchestration of it is just such a picture. I mean, adoption is such a picture of of what God has done for us by, you know, bringing us as sinners into his family, redeeming us from, you know, basically, yeah, being separated from him, abandoned, Mm -hmm. not that Declan was ever abandoned. He never was, which is beautiful. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, in many cases that is, you know, what an adoption starts off like. And, um, we just recognize like this is this is a picture of what God has done in our lives he has adopted us into his family he has set us free he has called us his children we are we are never going to be separated from his family and and Declan is now permanently part of our family he's grafted in to you know to Mike and I and um to the lineage of our family now forever Mm -hmm. and yeah it's 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 all kinds of things. It's bizarre. It's wonderful. It's emotional. It's, you know, if you think too much about it, it's like, whoa, uh, is this like, is this okay? Like, mm. do we just, does this really just happen? <laughs> you know, like there's just so yes. many, so many yeah. things going yeah. on. Yeah. Yes. So your little guy is three years old. He is so precious. He is. I saw a cute little video of him <laughs> uh, dancing. Yeah. <laughs> that you posted the other day. Oh yeah, he so loves sweet. dancing. Dancing and music and everything. So just share a little bit about what he is, um, kind of what's his little personality and nature like these days. I know you shared with me that you were so thrilled that he's he seems to have like a love for music, which mm-hmm. is amazing because obviously yes. you do. And what? Mm-hmm. just tell me some things about how Declan has blessed your life in the last three years. Oh man. Well, you know, one of the really cool things is when you are, when you're a person dealing with infertility in a great cloud of witnesses, like we were surrounded by so many people that, you know, were praying for us, cared for us, were, you know, asking after us, they were watching and waiting with us. Mm -hmm. And it was like the arrival of Declan was not just an answer to our prayers. Like it was the answer to the prayers of an entire community and a community that stretched like around the world into the States and to many people that we knew that were all over the place. And so there was just a sense like God has answered many, many prayers through this one scenario. Like he's answered a prayer for this birth mom Mm -hmm. to have a family where she knows that he will be loved and taken care of. And that was a prayer of her heart and of her family's heart mm-hmm. for him and an answer to prayer, you know, for our community who had been watching and, you know, desiring this for us and for them to see what God had done. And then like our families, like my family who like painstakingly journeyed with me and like, Oh my goodness, my, my mom, my sisters, my dad, my brother, like I've never 
had so many tears spilt in their presence as mm. the years that I struggled with that. And they were just so loving and patient. And my sisters were amazing. Um, you know, and I love, just your, like, I love your family so much. I love them too. And, and, you know, Mike's family too, like just, they, they journeyed with us too, in some degree. Mm. And, um, you know, so it was like, you know, there was just so many prayers answered in so many levels with this one little boy. And, um, yeah. and it was a joy, like he, his arrival was a joy for everyone. And it has continued to be a joy, like from that moment to this moment there, I have not stopped celebrating that Declan is our son and we do not stop marveling at what God has done. Like we just watch him grow and go, Oh my word. Like even, I, I don't think there's a day that passes where Mike and I don't look at each other and go like, oh, like we have a, we have a son. What on earth? You know, there's so many years when you just, you know, you just relinquish that and just believe like, okay, Lord, maybe we won't ever be parents. And then when God brings that into your life, you know, and when he brought that into our life, it was like, we have never stopped being in awe of it. Mm. Um, there has not literally been a moment, like even the craziest things that Declan has done or, you know, moments of disobedience or where we're, you know, dealing with something with him or whatever the case may be. Like, I never stop rejoicing that mm. I have a Declan. <laughs> oh, and... he's so... He is so, he just, every time I see a picture of him, I'm just like, this little boy has so much joy. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and you know, we picked his name. Declan means it's Irish. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. my background is Irish. Mike's got some Irish. And we picked the name Declan because it means man of prayer. And, you know, he was so, he was so prayed over, prayed for. He was so loved before he was ever known. And we just pray so much that he grows to be the kind of man who, uh, just grows into that namesake, a man who loves prayer and who will pray for others the way that he was prayed for, um, who will intercede for people, who will carry the weights, you know, through prayer um, mm-hmm. of others around him in love and with the love of Christ. And so, and we pray with him, you know, every night. And he actually has this little heart of prayer developing and it's really sweet. And he he does when we go to bed at night, he always wants to pray for his special friends. And he's really starting to... <sighs> you know, just have a, just, it's neat to see him have a heart for that. And that's something that we've prayed for. And we named Mm. him specifically, you know, with that in mind, because, because he was so prayed for. And uh, yeah. Such a beautiful story. I am just so (laughs) thankful, Jasmine, that you came and shared um, with us today. Uh, I just, I'm so encouraged by you and so many things that you shared today actually just really impacted my own heart. So thank you. Aw, thanks, Linnell. Thank you so much for having me. And it's so fun to be able to talk to you about it. Yeah, you I know. know. I enjoyed this. After all these years. I know. And I, yeah, as you were talking, I, I was remembering how I prayed for you. And you probably don't even know this. But I remember, mm. you know, years back, wondering if you guys were going to have kids. And I remember yeah. going, um, I remember thinking, uh, I wonder if they're having a struggle um, mm. in that area. I remember just, it was a fleeting thought, right? Just very yeah. quick, kind of rolled through my mind. And then I remember feeling just this urge to pray for you. Yeah. And so, Thank you know, you. how many people were <laughs> praying that didn't, you maybe didn't even know were praying for you? Oh, and then, yeah. That really blesses me because honestly, when you're going through it, you feel that mm. being being held up, you know, 
by by the people around you and by their care and their love for you even those that like you say you may never hear about but they're watching and the amazing thing is like people are watching our testimony and how we journey through Mm -hmm. life you know and how we basically how we walk with the Lord and how we worship him whether we get all the desires of our heart or whether we don't Mm -hmm. and ultimately you know I think one thing that I just wanted to share really quick that I've learned that I feel is really important just to just just to touch on infertility and say if I can encourage one thing is that um you know the joyful truth I've learned is that an oppressed barren heart um does not have to be the result of a barren womb um Mm. It doesn't have to be the result of infertility, like no matter the outcome, whether you, you know, never have a child or if you have a child arrive through, you know, a fertility intervention or whether you adopt or whether you go through foster care or um, whatever the case may be, like I really, really believe and know now that full joy is totally possible, um, whatever the outcome of Mm. it. And um I just feel like in our society, there's kind of this sense that like, you know, not having a child, you know, there, there's a lot of women that choose not to have children and that's mm-hmm. different. But mm-hmm. if, if you want one and you don't have one, um, there's this sense that you should be really down about it forever. Mm-hmm. Maybe okay. you'll never recover. Um, right. And I, I really feel like in Christ, that joy is possible, even mm-hmm. if, you know, you never you never do have the child that your heart longs for and to remain faithful to the Lord that he is good and that he does love and care for you. Even if for whatever reason that desire goes unmet in this lifetime, that he does have a plan and a purpose for it. And, and I can say that because even though we do have a son and we did adopt Declan, I still have not gotten pregnant. Like God Mm -hmm. still hasn't answered that prayer. Um, and I'm still trusting him in that. And I'm st- I still, you know, have moments of grief, even, even though I have a child, I still have moments of grief that, you know, I haven't gotten pregnant naturally and that I may never. And um, that I just have to trust him that even in that he does have a good plan still and that he's worthy of praise um, for himself alone. And not mm-hmm. for whatever gifts he does or doesn't give me. So yeah. Oh, I love your heart. Thank <laughs> you for sharing that. I was actually going to ask you uh, what your words of encouragement were for another mother going through the same thing. So thank there you, you <laughs> for being ahead of. Ahead Sorry of for things. jumping. Ahead of you. Oh no no no, that's fine. That's fine. Okay, I've got one fun question for you, and I actually. Um, Yay. I may not have mentioned that I was going to ask you this, but anyways, it's kind of just a fun Mm. little lighthearted question that um, I ask every guest. And the question is, if you had four hours all to yourself Mm. and somebody had already cleaned your whole house for you, so that was not an issue, how would you spend your time? Oh, man. Four hours. (laughs) Four hours. What could I do in four hours? You know, I would probably, I'd probably sew something. (laughs) Like I'd probably start some project that I could finish in four hours. I love, I love to sew and craft and create stuff. And, 
Um, you know, I have about 8,000 projects I've been putting off for years. So I'm sure <laughs> if I had four hours, I'd probably <laughs> tackle one of those. Alternately, I would probably lay on the couch with a book. <laughs> In you my don't hands. know how many times I've heard that answer. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that answer. <laughs> just totally relax and yep. yeah. Just put your feet up, read a book. Yeah. Okay. What yes. project would you do? If like what sewing project specifically? If you had to pick one of those million projects that you haven't gotten to. Oh man. Okay. So do you know? I don't even know how to describe this. Okay. Like anthropology has these pillowcases that I'm absolutely in love with. They're like these poofy. I don't know, throws for like a master bed or whatever, or they could be for a couch. And they've got like little fun things like pom-poms and different colors, you know, like kind of woven through Mm -hmm. like different colors of yarn and whatever. So I found at a thrift store, these super cool, um, like beige colored pillowcase covers that are kind of woven and they look like these pillowcases from anthropology, but they don't have any color on them. So I was like, oh man, I could just buy a bunch of different colors of yarn and like sew my own cool like design, like florals or whatever, and make this like beautiful anthropology ripoff pillowcase. <laughs> I think I think you should do it. And then you need to send I think me I a should. picture so I can see it. I think I should. I've been dreaming of it for like a year, but Aww. I don't have any yarn. Oh. <laughs> well, so you sh- so send me all your yarn. If okay. anyone has yarn, just send it to me. <laughs> yes, yes. I have some nice pastel colored yarn, like all different multicolors. I'll send there that you to go. You, that's, that's probably what I need. that's probably not what you're picturing, though. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Could work. Could work. But yeah, that's okay. what I would do. That's what oh, I do. Sounds so good. All right, friend, I am just so blessed by you. And thanks so much for coming on and sharing your story today. Okay, I've been so encouraged by this conversation with Jasmine. And I really hope that you've been as well. Psalm 62 verse 5 says, Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Jasmine's story really reminds me of how important it is for us to come to God with all of our emotions, not just the ones that we think are acceptable to Him. He wants to walk with us through the valley, friends. He promises that He will, and not only does He bring comfort to our hurting and often impatient hearts, but He draws us near and speaks the words of wisdom that we need to hear. I think Jasmine's story demonstrates just how patient and kind our Heavenly Father is. What a gift to know that he accepts us in our brokenness, that he is doing incredible things, orchestrating beautiful events for our good and his glory. I pray today, friend, as you rely on God's promise to sustain us, deliver us, and bring beauty from our suffering, that you will know the peace that passes all understanding and experience great joy. You can find all of the resource info, including links to Jasmine's written articles at Set Apart Girl magazine, as well as Bible verses and books mentioned in the show notes. 